Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send an email to toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. I remember being in school and having these moments where your teacher is teaching, right? Junior high, high school, college. They're teaching. They're going on and on and on. And all of a sudden, all you hear is just the droning of Charlie Brown's teacher. You know what I'm talking about? And there's this moment where you ask yourself this very relevant question. Is this going to be on the test? Do you remember that? It's like, do I need to know this or can I just slip into a lecture-induced coma? Like, is this important? Or am I going to have to be accountable for this? Is this going to be on the test? I've got some news for you. Today, there's going to be a test. Like, so you could check out if you want to, but I can tell you what we're going to talk about today. We're going to be in Acts 17. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there with me, Acts chapter 17. At the end of this passage of Scripture we're going to look at, there's a question that's going to be posed. I'm not going to pose it. The, the Apostle Paul actually is going to set us up to consider this question. And at the end of this passage of Scripture, there's going to be a test. It's one question. It's pass-fail. If you want to check out, you can. If, if you want to start looking at your phone or start thinking about what you've got to do before the weekend's over or looking down the aisle and going, I can't believe they wore that. I mean, if you want to do that, that's fine. <laughs> you know, you might be watching this on a screen or you might be watching this online or on TV, TV somewhere. It might be a moment where you go, ah, I might see if there's, there's something else I can look at. You can do that. But if I can be so bold, I want to challenge you. What we're going to talk about today is incredibly important. There's going to be a test. It's one question, pass, fail. And we see this in Acts chapter 17. We've been in this series we called Life on Mars because the Apostle Paul is on his journey going from place to place. He's starting churches. He ends up in a city called Athens. We talked about this the, the first week of this series. And where he is in Athens, it's a university town. It's a place that's filled with knowledge and with wisdom and philosophy. It's also filled with all these idols and temples and, and gods and goddesses and Roman and Greek mythology. It's just, it's the hub of all that kind of stuff. And Paul goes there and he goes to a place called the Areopagus, which is sometimes referred to as Mars Hill. So that's where our sermon title, Life on Mars, comes from because Paul is explaining to them who God is and for many of them, God is very alien to them. And so as Paul's explaining to them, he highlights this, this point that he says, here in your city, I not only see all these temples and gods and goddesses, but I also see this monument you have to an unknown God. And if you know this, in the last two series, we kind of looked at questions that we ask about God, and we looked at who God is. And last week, we walked through a passage where Paul introduces the people in Athens to who this unknown God really is. And he says, this God that you just kind of give a little bit of courtesy to by giving him his own monument because you're not really sure who he is, I can tell you who he is. He's the God who created everything. He's the God who gives you life, and this God wants to know you. Paul spells this out for them. And then, in the passage we're going to look at today, Paul makes it personal. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. He takes it beyond just intellectual understanding and brings it to a point where they have to make a choice. They have to consider something. Acts chapter 17, verse 28. Paul says, For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. 
But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. In just a minute, we'll get to our test question for today. But first, we kind of need to take some time, and it's going to take us a few minutes to walk through these four verses and see what Paul is really saying to us here, because it's where our test question comes from. So let's go back to these. Look at verse 28. We'll, we'll start here and then work our way through. Paul says, and, and look at the beginning of this because it's in quotes, for in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. The reason why those two different parts of that verse are in quotes is because Paul's quoting from two different Greek sources. He's not quoting from the Bible. He's not quoting from the Old Testament like he does in so many other places. In these places, Paul is quoting from relevant writers of their time. He's trying to gain some common ground. He's trying to get their attention. He's trying to show them that their own thinkers have already said these same things so it will be relevant for them. We oftentimes do, do some of the same things. We might quote people, even when we're trying to communicate a spiritual message from outside of the Bible, because it helps people to see that it's connected to who they really are at their very heart. Like in, in English literature, we might quote the poet Robert Frost. Have you heard of him? He wrote the poem, and help me out here if you know it, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one, anybody? Less traveled by, like you know that, right? And that has made all the difference. Your English lit teachers are so proud right now, right? And then if you wanted to prove to somebody that America was a great country, you might quote this line, that America is the land of the, and the home of the, right? And so if you wanted to maybe help someone who was walking through a time when people were unkind to them, you might quote the poet Taylor Swift and say, because the player's gonna, okay, uh, uh, yeah, some people should be listening to Christian radio. Okay, that's, uh, yeah, proved my point. What's Paul saying to them? Paul's saying to them, shake it off, shake it off. He's saying to them, <laughs> even your own thinkers point this out. Even your own thinkers recognize that God is alive. It's in him that we move and live and have our being. He is the source in our lives. He's like, he's like giving a wake-up call to them. He's not saying that there's this weird ethereal God that's just out there everywhere. He's saying that God is alive and the source of life, not your idols, and watch this, because you're going to hear this over and over again today, to the point that it's going to sound repetitious. He's saying, not your idols, but God is alive. He's the source of your life. We, we said that last week, too, that God is our source. And for some reason, that just stuck with me this week. Like, like it kept coming back to my mind. And so if you're here and, and you have a need, you, you're lacking something, remember this. It doesn't come from you. God is your source. He's the one who supplies. And also remember, if you do have what you need, that God is your source. And he's the one that supplied. Everything we have comes from him. And so with that in mind, then he goes to verse 29. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. Look, tra track with me here for a moment, because I want you to see Paul's logic, his rhetoric as he's talking to them here. And it can get lost real quick if you're not careful. He's wanting to prove a point to them. He says to them, we are his offspring. If that's the case, then it means this, God made us, you and me, 
God made us. And if you take us and compare us to the idols that you see in Athens, made of gold and silver and stone and wood, these items that have no life, if you compare humanity to those gods, what you'll see is we are more complex and alive than idols. So God made us, and we, you and I, and Paul's saying it to them there in Athens, are more complex and we're more alive than idols. So if you follow this out to its logical conclusion, therefore, God is greater than idols. God is able to make something. He is able to create something. And when you see what he's done, it causes you to see his greatness. Have you ever been with somebody and they serve you something and you take a bite of it and it is so good that you say to yourself, they had to buy this somewhere. Anybody, do you know what I'm talking about? They're like, hey, where'd you get this? I made this. <laughs> nah, like where, where'd that come from? No, I made it. Sometimes somebody might, might give you a gift or show you something that they've made, maybe out of wood, or maybe they knit you something, or they, they built something with their own hands. And you look at that and go, who, who did that? I did that. No, you didn't. You did that? Yeah, I did that. And all of a sudden, you think of that person differently because now you've seen something that they've created, something that has come out from them that you didn't realize was in them. Paul's saying to them that same thing, saying, look, you've called this the unknown God. I'm telling you, he can be known, and he's amazing. He created you, and you and all your complexity show just how great he is. This is really important because Paul's saying, the dead things you give your attention to are so much less than God. We saw this the first week of this series when we said anything we give our worship to other than God is just an empty substitute. Now look, I'm not saying that these other things might be bad. It's not that they're bad. It could be very good things. It could be necessary things. It could be healthy things. It could be things that God has actually put in your life. But if at some point they become more important to you than God is, they'll never fulfill. They'll never satisfy. And let's take this one step further because I think some people really need to come to grips with this. It says that God is great, and it also says that God made you. So if God is great and he made you, then that makes you a masterpiece from the great master, doesn't it? That's something some of us have to wrestle to the ground because some of us judge ourselves by what we see in a mirror or what we think of our own effectiveness or what others have told us. And the reality is your life, just the way you are, is a testimony of God's greatness and his purpose for you. He's created you and he loves you and Paul says to them, grasp this. You are his offspring. He's greater than your idols. Verse 30, in the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. In the past, Paul says, look, you, you used to not know this. and God was gracious with you. I think too many times we want to think of God as mean or short or just filled with wrath or that the only day he has circled on his calendar is judgment day. And the Bible says something more about God. Romans chapter 2 verse 4, Paul writes here, he says, or do you show contempt for the riches of God's kindness, forbearance, and patience? Anybody ever had God be patient with you? Why? Not realizing that God's kindness 
is intended to lead you to repentance. For those of you that have always felt like God was out to get you, that maybe God's love was just conditional, that God didn't really care, or at best, you were just a pawn to him, know this, God has always been more interested in repentance than judgment. Repentance, meaning that you, you make things right with him, that you come into relationship with him. He's always been more interested in you and him being in a right relationship than in this idea of judgment. But Paul says, look, he, he's been really patient, but now you know who he is. So you're not off, you're, you're not, you're not off the hook anymore. Now, <laughs> the gospel requires a response. Now you have to do something with what you know. This is something that is in front of you, and you've got to respond. It's like that moment in class when you feel the chill go down your back when you haven't been paying attention and the teacher calls your name. Do you know what I'm talking about? Chad, huh? You haven't been paying attention. They ask you a question. You drop 20 IQ points right then and there, right? You know what I'm talking about? Or that moment when they hand out the test. You know the test is coming, but when it's right there in front of you, it's for real. I've done this multiple times where I'm standing with a couple at an altar at a wedding, and the, and the, the groom's there and the bride's there, and you get to that point where you say to them, if so, please say I do, and it's this moment that requires a response. Grooms-to-be, let me just encourage you, when it comes to that moment, and a pastor like me looks at you and says, if so, please say I do. Don't go, ah, saw that once. It was not good, okay? It's not a good thing. Look, there are moments in life that require a response. This is one of them, Paul says. What's the necessary response? He says it's repentance. We'll come back to repentance in a minute. Look at verse 31. It says, for God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead. He set a day when he will judge the world. Do you see that there? there? There is a day that is circled on God's calendar. That's judgment day. When history will end, you'll have to take the test. The teacher's gonna call your name and the gospel will require a response. No one knows exactly when that day is, but there is a day that's coming where we're gonna stand before God and we're gonna give an account for all we've done, good and bad. And unless Jesus returns first, there's coming a day when all of us will die. And that's when our grade will be revealed. Do you remember the, the day after the test when you'd go back in and the teacher had graded it? Anybody remember that? And there's that moment where they stand in front of the class and they start handing them out. It's judgment day. How'd I do? Did I pass? Did I fail? Please let me just do better than the person sitting next to me. You remember those moments, right? It's judgment day. There will be a judgment day. And it tells us that who's going to be the, the main person in that moment? Who's going to be the man? And I'm going to say this, and it has several different interpretations, and I think it's true all the way around. Jesus is the man. He is the one who God has chosen to judge the world. And so someday you'll stand in front of him, and he will either point out the judgment that's coming to you, or someday he will be the one that saves you from that judgment. That's a decision that we have to make. 
And what Paul's saying to them is Jesus is the man because God rose him from the dead. Do you see these idols of yours? Your idols are lifeless. Jesus lived and then he died and then he rose again and he lives today. So Jesus is better than your idols. A living God is always better than a worthless idol. Isn't that true? And so Paul's saying to them, look, I'm pointing out to you that there is a truth here. He wants to get their attention. And ultimately, this is what he's putting in front of them. The gospel requires a response. You can't just ignore this because there's a judgment day that's coming. The gospel requires a response to a living God. And so here's the question. Paul doesn't say it blatantly, but he says it right here. And we can see it so true in this passage. How will you respond to God? On that judgment day, when you get to that point, how are you going to respond to God? Go back to school for a minute. When you actually do know what's going to be on the test, then you start asking, what kind of a test will it be? Will it be true or false? Will it be matching? Will it be an essay? Anybody hate essay tests? Will it be fill in the blank? Or, and this is the kind that, that many of us prefer, will it be multiple choice? I had a teacher in school that used to call it multiple guess, which I don't think is what it's supposed to be. You choose, not guess. Paul's question to us, how will you respond to God? That's our test question. One question, most important question you'll ever have to wrestle with. How will you respond to God is actually multiple choice. We're gonna see this in a minute. I, I, I did a little bit of research and found some um, interesting multiple choice questions, some of which weren't written very well, like this first one. This first one is a question about Einstein. Take a look at it here on the screen. When was Albert Einstein born? In Switzerland, in the United States, in Germany, in Israel. You, you see why that's a bad question, right? Okay, you with me? Then there's this second one. It was kind of a trick question. It required more out of the student. It says this, it says, stand up and say your favorite color, the street you live on, and your lucky number. And then you're supposed to give one of these answers, like mission accomplished if you stood up and did it, B, I'm too shy, C, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do, or D, I'm not even reading the questions, I'm just filling in random bubbles. <laughs> Anybody ever did that? Okay, all right. Here's, here's the next one. Only a few people will get this, but I thought it was hilarious. Rick Astley's never gonna give you up, let you down, make you cry, hurt you, E, all of the above. <laughs> Anyone from the 80s know what I'm talking about there? Okay, a few people, all right. Here's this one. This is how some of you think during your tests. Are you childish? <laughs> Last one, after a long testing season, this is a kind one, mental break time. This is your last regular test of the year. You deserve an easy question. What is one plus one? A, not this one. B, still not this one. C, two, D, you've gone too far. Go back to C. <laughs> Paul, by his teaching, forces a test. How will you respond to God? And when we look at the responses that we see at the end of this chapter, the choices you have to pick from, it's multiple choice. We're gonna have A, B, and C. There's no D, there's no all of the above, and there's just one right answer, and you have to choose. Here's how the people responded. Acts chapter 17, verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council 
Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. End of the story. So you see here in that passage, Paul poses the question. The gospel requires a response. In front of them is the question, how will you respond to this God that you've just met? This God that Paul just introduced you to. He's not unknown anymore. Now you know who he is. How will you respond to him? And you have three responses. I want to give them to you as options today. And then at the end of this service, you've got to decide A, B, or C. Which, Which one's you? Which one do you pick? There's only one right answer. How will you respond to God? The first option, A, is rejection. The first thing that you can do is just to reject him. Verse 32 of Acts 17, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Other Bible versions said that they mocked, they scoffed, they jeered at him. They just made it a joke. They rejected him. The first option that you have on this multiple choice test, the question is, how will you respond to God? You could reject him. You can reject Jesus. And that's what so many in Athens did. See, they they had a real problem with what Paul was saying. It says here that when they heard about the resurrection, the fact that someday people who are dead will come back to life, that, that they might have a body again, that there would be a time when they would live again, they said, that's crazy. See, there was this idea in Greek thought called dualism that separated the body and the spirit. And it said that the body was bad and the part that you could not see, that immaterial part, was the good part. So to ever think that that good part, the immaterial part, would have a material part again, which is a part of what we mean when we say resurrection, that Jesus, who was alive, came back into that body after it was dead, they said, oh, that's gross, because the body's bad, but the spirit is good. And so they rejected it right away because they could not understand it. They didn't like it. It didn't fit how they thought about things. And the same is really true for us. When we don't understand something, what do we typically do? Well, sometimes we try to learn about it, but most of the time we reject it. We don't get it. We don't like it. We think it doesn't fit who we are. And so we push something aside. Rejection is interesting because some rejection is active to scoff, to sneer, to jeer at something, make it a thing of jest. So what they did to Paul, they actively rejected him and they pushed him away. Some rejection is active and some rejection is passive. Sometimes you can just make fun of something. Other times to reject it, you just ignore it. It's not active, it's passive. Go back to high school again. You you can remember some of these things, right? When there's a certain group of people who for some reason you were on the outside of and they might have even made fun of you or, or scoffed at you or sneered at you or said unkind things to you and they actively rejected you. Anybody remember that? I can. Like I can remember that from my junior high, high school experiences. That's active rejection. There's also passive rejection. Like when you call a girl and she never calls you back. I was thinking of putting names and pictures on a screen, but I'm over it. Like, I've dealt with it. (laughs) But it's rejection just the same, right? Active scoffing, passive ignoring, either way, what is it? (laughs) It's rejection. And some of us actively reject God. The idea of God, we scoff at it. We make fun of others who believe in it. We, We jeer and we hate and we snicker, and we call people names. We actively reject God. There are, there are people who do that, so maybe some of us. 
There are also some of us who passively reject the idea of God. It's not that we would ever say anything unkind about God or those that believe in him. We, we just ignore him. We don't openly mock it. We just don't take it seriously enough to think about how God should be a part of our lives. It's not that we think bad things about God. It's just easier not to think about God at all. And there's all kinds of reasons. Maybe we're busy, maybe we're intimidated, maybe we're uninformed or uneducated. Maybe it's a matter of we think of if we give God some of our mind or our time or our thought that it might mean something that's gonna cost us something. Either way, here's what Paul told us. You can only ignore him or you can only reject him for so long because someday judgment day is coming. And when it does, when that moment comes, when you stand before the man that he has chosen in Jesus Christ, If your answer is option A to the question, how did you respond to God, and it's I rejected him, that's a wrong answer. One of the things that theologians question about this whole passage of scripture, it's really fascinating, for years they've questioned, did Paul fail here in Athens? What's interesting is in the chapters before, you hear that Paul goes to these places and there's a lot of converts and churches start. And then in the next couple of chapters, and we're, we're gonna spend some time here in coming weeks, he goes to the city of Corinth and he goes to the city of Ephesus where thriving churches start, churches that, that actually have letters written to them in the New Testament, right? We know about Corinth, we know about Ephesus. In Athens, we really have no history of a church that establishes and thrives there in the first century. So did Paul fail? Like, did, did he have a bad approach? Did he mess up in Athens? My my contention would be it's not that Paul messed up. I think it has more to do not with what the people heard, but had to do with the attitude of the hearers. They were already in a point where because of their thoughts, because of their attitudes, because of their commitments, they were pushing this away because they couldn't accept it. And whether it was active or whether it was passive, they chose to reject God. This is really interesting for us to think about because sometimes it's our attitude as well where we just push God out of the picture. Maybe it's actively. Maybe you've said some things about God or Christians that are hurtful or unkind or you think it's all just a big joke. Or maybe it's passively. Maybe you've not blatantly rejected God, but maybe you've just ignored him. Either way, to ignore God has the same result as to reject God. Actively or passively, to ignore him has the same result as to reject him. We live in a, in a two-story house, and the roof line kind of goes up, and, and the, the roof kind of hangs over the house, and there's, a, there's like a soffit that's there that has siding that's up in there, and at some point, one of the little pieces of the siding at the very top of the house, like the very peak of the house, has fallen out at some point. And you can see where, where birds have come and, and done all kinds of stuff that's there. And we've noticed this over time. And I've thought to myself, I should go up there and fix that. But I also thought to myself, if I go up there, I probably also get to go to the hospital. So <laughs> it was easier for me because the Lord has not given me the spiritual gift of heights to just kind of, you know, just kind of leave it up there. But we got home late one night not too long ago, and I was in the bedroom kind of getting ready uh, to call it a night, and all of a sudden I hear this weird noise, like a, like a scratching, tapping kind of sound. And I said to Rhonda, I said, are the, are the kids doing something? Are, you, are, are your cats doing something? Like, what is that? Like, what is that noise that I hear? I, I don't know what that is. And she, she walked out into the hallway, and she comes back in, and she says, oh, I think I know what it is. You ought to come here. And we could hear, like, up in the ceiling, like this noise, like we've got some kind of visitor. And so I grabbed two things. Uh, do you know uh, the, that flashlight that I showed you a couple weeks ago? 
that burned some of your retinas out, you know what I'm talking about? I grabbed that flashlight and went outside with a baseball bat and I stood out there and I shined it up where that little hole was and I saw a little striped tail hanging out of there. Ricky Raccoon had come for a visit. And, and I'm on the phone with Rhonda and I'm like, I think it's a raccoon. And she's banging on the ceiling inside, like trying to get some. Now the good news is, because it was just the soffit, like he couldn't get anywhere, he couldn't do anything. And we called animal control and he never came back because he's scared of Rhonda, like all this kind of thing. So like, like that story. And I had a friend come who's really good at that kind of stuff and he fixed it, which is awesome. So, but here's the deal. I never stood in my yard, pointed at that hole in the soffit by, by my roof line and said, hole, I hate you. Hole, I make fun of you. Hole, I will just leave you there. I want nothing to do with you, Hole. I am going to mock you and jeer you and scorn you. And Hole, you just stay there. I never said that. You know what I said? I don't know what to do with it. I'm just going to ignore it. (laughs) I didn't actively reject it. I passively reject it. And the result was the same. It opened up a vulnerability to my whole house. Whether you ignore God or you reject God, the result is the same, that's how you responded to him, and that rejection is the wrong answer. The question is, how will you respond to God? Option one is A, rejection. Here's option two, it's curiosity. Option number two, how will you respond to God? Is curiosity. Go back to verse 32 of Acts chapter 17. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, we wanna hear you again on this subject. You know what, Paul? That's, that's fascinating. You're, you're a strange dude, and you've brought some strange thoughts. Maybe we'll hear you again sometime. Maybe it's true that they were curious, at least. They, they found him novel and with new ideas. And they were probably being polite, right? Because how often do you say to somebody, if you're, if you're a kind and courteous person, I never want to hear from you again, right? <laughs> They're probably like, oh, we'd, we'd be interested to hear that again. It was probably a little bit of procrastination. Ah, oh, we can hear more about this later. How many of you, let's just be honest, have ever said to somebody you didn't want to talk to, hey, can we talk about this later? Anybody? <laughs> a lot of you aren't honest, right? It's true. <laughs> like, we do that. There's no conviction in that. That curiosity was also a wrong answer because it wasn't a response. <laughs> it was a cop-out. They were buying some time. They were hoping that this thing would just go away because they didn't say, hey, Paul, why don't you come back on this day and tell us more? They didn't say, hey, Paul, why don't you come over for coffee? What they said was, hey, Paul, we'll talk later, and then Paul left. Like, that's the end of the story. That's all we know about what happens in Athens, and it was a wrong answer because it may buy you some time, but at some point, time's gonna run out, and you've gotta answer this question. It won't go away forever. Look, I I don't mean to be over the top with this judgment day stuff, but it's real and it's in this passage. And I stress it because I see so many people who are wasting time in their lives. They're playing games with God. And as a result, missing out on the best that he has for you. Some of you are making choices today that you're not gonna be able to undo tomorrow. And you have a curiosity in God And you might try to scratch the itch from time to time. You might try to make it seem like you care or seem like you're interested or at least do enough to kind of make you feel better about yourself. But the reality is, is all you have is just a curiosity. You're just having a passing interest in God and that won't cut it. The gospel requires a response and B is the wrong answer. You're gonna fail the test. This is hard for us because oftentimes 
If I'm gonna really respond to God, it's not just that I change the way that I think, it means that I have to change everything about my life. It makes a practical choice as well. If Jesus is, and we use this language, if Jesus is my savior and my Lord, and if you're familiar with that language, you know what I mean by that. If you're not, that idea of Jesus as our savior means that he died on a cross to pay the price for your sins, my sins, that we've all failed, we've all sinned, we can't take care of that for ourselves. So Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and so he gives us forgiveness because he's our savior, and then he's also our Lord, which means he's the one that gives direction and purpose and meaning to our lives. If Jesus is your savior and your Lord, then what that means is that you give him full control in your life, and that means that something may have to change. You've gotta stop believing that another person will meet all your needs or that money will solve all your problems or that physical pleasure will make you happy or that a better job is gonna satisfy or that living right will make things right. And I point those things out because so many times those are the things that become idols in our lives. People and money and pleasure and even religion can become these idols in our lives when all those things you're looking for will only be found in Jesus Christ. And for some of us, our response to God is this little bit of curiosity <clears throat> that puts us in a place where we feel like maybe we've responded enough to buy some time, or it's kind of a cop-out, or it lets us not deal with something that we're uncomfortable to deal with. But the reality is when you really have to take this test, option B is the wrong answer, even though that's what we're inclined to do so often. In the nation of India, there's kind of a new fad that's there with these websites and apps that people can go to that will allow them online to be able to ask for what's called a puja. A puja is a devotional act that's done by a Hindu priest on behalf of someone. So, so typically someone would go to a temple and they would ask for this puja to be done so that this prayer could be answered or this need could be met. Now what you can do is you can get on the app called ePuja, good name, right? You can get on ePuja and for 15 bucks, you can request one of these at the temple of your choice. Now look, I'm all for somebody asking others to pray for them, right? That's cool, right? The Bible says we can do that, ask others to pray. But this isn't just putting in a prayer request. This is saying, I'm gonna pay somebody to take care of my relationship with God, and then I'm gonna order a pizza on another app. <laughs> right, that's the way we think about this. And the reality is, you, you can't just put something out there for things to be right between you and God. It's not just curiosity that does it. It's not just a quick acknowledgement that there might be something here that makes it happen. At some point, it honestly has to come down to, do you have a relationship with him or do you not? Now look, don't, don't hear what's not intended by this because some of you have a really healthy curiosity. Maybe for some of you, this idea of God is new or coming to church is an idea that you're exploring with or maybe the Bible's a book that's kind of unfamiliar or you're unsure with and that kind of curiosity is a good curiosity if it's actually moving you forward, if it's actually pushing you closer to God. But if your feigned curiosity is actually just procrastination and a cop-out, at some point, the curiosity that's easy where I go to church and I try to do the right things and I'm nice and I don't steal and I only get mad at bad drivers, can I get an amen? <laughs> that's not gonna cut it. At some point, you have to say, God, you're bigger than this. God, you're more than that. God, I put my trust and my confidence in you. Paul sets it out there. He says, look, the gospel requires a response. 
The question is, how will you respond to God? You got three options. A, rejection. B, curiosity. C, here's the last one. It's belief. How will you respond to God? Belief. Verse 34. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris and one and a number of others. If you're grading your test as we're going along here, C is the right answer. This is the one that answers the question, how do you respond to God? The right answer is to believe, to believe in God and his son, Jesus Christ. And by believing, the Bible says we have life in his name. But believing is so much more than just just mentally saying, oh yeah, I agree with that. Because a lot of people may say, oh yeah, I agree with that, but it never means anything in their lives. What we believe is revealed by what we do. What we actually believe is revealed by what we do. So if the way you live your life doesn't actually match up with the things you say you believe, then maybe you really don't believe what you say you believe. Does that make sense? Very first sermon Jesus preached. Matthew chapter four, verse 17 says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. If you really believe it starts with repentance, Jesus said it there, Paul said it to the people in Athens, and know this, repentance is not just a change of philosophy. For some of us, when we think about repentance, we think, well, well, I'm just gonna change the way that I think. I'm just gonna agree with what the Bible says. I'm just gonna go in this direction. And many times what that means is we just change the way we think and we add the truths that we know about Jesus to everything else that we already know. And we might go, well, Jesus is a good teacher, so I wanna be a teacher like him. Or Jesus was a great leader, so I wanna lead like him. Or Jesus was a servant, so maybe I should serve like him. Or Jesus loved other people, so maybe I should love like him. And all those things are true, but those things are not enough. Repentance isn't just a change of philosophy. Repentance is a change of mind, heart, and direction. Like, it's everything. It's the whole thing. You can't earn that salvation, but because of his salvation, we give him all that we have. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 8. Paul's writing to this, this church in Thessalonica we talked about a couple weeks ago, and he's saying, man, I've heard good things about you. You ever, you ever got a note from somebody that just says, hey, I heard good things about you. Hey, you're doing great. Paul's writing this in this note, and look at what he says. He says, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves, these other people, report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. This is the same thing he told the people in Athens. He says, look, when you look to Jesus and trust in him, anything else that you've held is more important, you push that aside and you give your complete trust to him. You repent and change your direction. You believe and that's the right answer. And he mentions a few people in the passage. He speaks about Dionysius, who believed. And he speaks about Damaris, who believed. And this, this was kind of a bit of a crisis point for me, right? As Paul got up and preached a sermon, and he got mixed results. He had some who mocked him, some who just wanted him to be quiet, and others who actually believed. Sounds like the 1145 service. That's a, that's a joke. That's just a joke. 
I had to ask myself the question, if all, if all three of them heard the same thing, why did they have these different responses? Right, they, they all heard Paul say the very same thing. Why such dramatically different results? What I come up with is the work of the Holy Spirit. See, some of them were open to allow the Holy Spirit to be at work in their lives, and the others, whether just by rejection or just by curiously saying, I'll deal with this later, pushed aside the Spirit of God in their life to the detriment of them failing the test. Here's, here's, the, here's, the, here's the burden I felt in getting ready for today. What's the Holy Spirit doing in your life? Like in this moment, like right now, how's the Spirit speaking to you? Because look, I, I, I know just from what I sense God's put in my heart, and I know because I know some of your stories, and because I know what Scripture says, I know what the Spirit is doing. John chapter 16, verse eight, says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. And for some of you, whether you're sitting in this room or you're watching on a screen or you're listening to this somehow, you can also feel, you, you sense something that you know is not just natural and it's not just in your head. It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you about where you're at in your life and the options you're choosing. Places where you're rejecting God. Places where you're just, with curiosity, just kind of pushing God aside. And places where you openly say, God, my life's yours. I give it to you. So I know what the Holy Spirit is doing. And can I tell you this? I know what the Holy Spirit can do. Like if you'll be open to the Spirit's work in your life, Titus chapter 3, verse 4. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior. Remember we've already read about this, how God is patient with us and he loves us. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. For some of you, the Holy Spirit is stirring in your heart right now and asking you the question, how are you going to respond? Respond, and you can reject him, or you can buy some time with your curious, courteous, procrastination response, or you can say, God, I believe in you, and, and, and I'm open to what you want to do in my life, which means for some of us who are believers, the challenge is to say, God, are there places where I've allowed an idol, something that's dead, something that's lifeless? It's not that it's bad. It's not even that it's not necessary, but it's something that's taken priority over you, and God, I've got to say you're in first place today, and maybe for some of us who haven't believed yet, Maybe we've not become followers yet. Maybe it's a day where you say to yourself, I can't do this on my own anymore. And Jesus, I need you to be my savior and bring that forgiveness and that hope and that peace. And I need you to be my Lord and bring that purpose and that value to my life. One question, multiple choice. The Holy Spirit right now is stern in your heart. How are you gonna respond to God? Reject him, curiously push him away, or believe and get the question answered right. One last, uh, one last question about a test. I grew up in a really small town called Southington, right outside of Warren, Ohio. Went to a, a really small public high school. There were only like 57 kids in my graduating class. Just this really small school. And, and this, is, this is a picture of my high school, built in 1907 on the National Registry. Now, there were other buildings as well, but this was, the, this was the jewel. This was the centerpiece. This was Chalker High School. 
named after Newton Chalker, whose claim to fame was getting captured in the Civil War. <laughs> Think about that. It's a big monument of him in his uniform out there. Anyways, so Newton was, a, Newton was an attorney who became quite successful, and he donated the $20,000 back in 1907 to build that building. And oftentimes when we would go back to Southington to visit family or whatever, I would always drive my kids by there and say, look, kids, that's where your dad went to school. And they always said, we don't care. <laughs> Which I will never forget. In the basement of that 1907 building, that dank, dark, musty basement, I had my junior chemistry class. For the life of me, I've been trying to think of the teacher's name, and I, I can't think of her name, but just picture chemistry teacher. You with me? If you are a chemistry teacher, I'm sure you're an outlier. But picture, you know, like chemistry teacher. I think it was close to the end of the school year when our grades really, really, really mattered. And she gave us a test, a tough test. You're looking down the barrel of your senior year the next year. And you've been struggling all year in chemistry. She gives you this test. And I remember walking in the next day and sitting at our desks and she stood up in front of the class and she said this, class, every single one of you failed that test. Every single one of us. And I'm sure it had more to do with us than her ability to teach. Like, I'm sure. But um, all of us failed that test. Man, and you could just feel the air kind of go out of the room. And then she said this. Now, if you want, I'm going to go through the test today. And then tomorrow, you can come back and you can take it again. If you want. You want to keep the grade you have that's fine but you can come back tomorrow after we go through it and you can take it again if that's your choice guess what we all chose <laughs> we're come back tomorrow take this test it would be silly to choose otherwise now look this analogy falls apart right because God is not a test taker whoever has designed anything for you to fail God is one who, when you walk through tests in life, he's one that's there to help you succeed. He's not going to design and be a bad teacher or a bad instructor. He's going to help you to get through that. And the truth is, I had to go home and I had to study to pass that test. To pass the test we're talking about, Jesus already took the exam, didn't he? And he paid the price for our sins. But where this analogy is spot on is at some point we've all failed. And the question that we have to answer is, will we be willing to, to take that test again? Because God's given us a second chance to say, look, you failed, but will you believe? Will you receive what I have for you? Knowing that there's a day that's coming when you're going to have to stand before me, you're going to have to answer the question, how will you respond to God? You got three options. You could actively or passively reject him today, or you could just with curiosity try to push him off today. I'm just telling you the right answer is C, and it's believe. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes because it's test time. And I've got two questions today. Look, I know that God loves you and his desire, the God who created you and gives you life, is that you would know him. And my question is, if you're here today and you know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you know that he's your savior and your Lord and you follow him and you know that you have chosen to believe in him, would you just raise your hand, just kind of as an affirmation, God, I believe in you. 
put my trust in you. It's awesome. You can put your hands down. Second question, if you're here today or you're watching this somewhere, you're listening to this somewhere, and you'd say, God, today I need to believe. God, today I need to choose to make you my Savior and my Lord. I can't do it anymore on my own. God, I need to be in a right relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And today I choose to believe or to believe again in you. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? Keep it raised for just a moment. You say, God, today I choose to believe or believe again. Yeah, thanks. Man, thanks. You raise your hand, put it right back down. That's fine. Just between you and God, I choose to believe. If you raised your hand either one of those times, would you just pray this prayer with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus, for sending your Son to die for my sin. I ask today that you'd forgive my sins, that you'd change my life, that you'd be my Savior, and I make you my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Look, the the beauty of that prayer that we just prayed is not just that you said some special words, but it's that in your heart, that act of repentance, you choose to believe. Look, if you prayed that for the first time today, I hope you'll stop by our Connection Center. On the the way out of the auditorium, we've got some cards that look like this. They say, I have decided on them. If you'd grab one of these, take that to the Connection Center. We've got friends there that would love to talk with you some more about this decision. We have a Bible we want to give to you and just want to encourage you in your decision to follow Jesus today. It is the most important decision that you can ever make. If you're watching online or if you happen to be watching on television, we'd encourage you to go out to our website, Toledo Calvary. The top of that, there's a place where you can click that says Jesus, and you can find out more about how you can follow him. Can I invite you to stand with us today? Let's pray as we go. Father, thanks for this day. God, thanks for your word. Now as we go from here, we ask that you would go with us. God, that you would send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.